to introduce tonight is a rather remarkable, I think, almost unique teaching of the Dzogchen practice lineage from the oral tradition. Therefore, it's called rather colloquially the Four Great Flops. <laughs> I'm translating Namshak Namparshi, the Four Great Flops or leaving it as it is. <coughs> the four great leaving it as it is, is. <coughs> this is explained in great detail by the first Jamgun Control Rinpoche, one of the lineage masters that revived Tibetan Bud- non-sectarian t- Buddhism in Tibet uh, 150 years ago. When we talk about the innate great perfection or great wholeness, and letting go, leaving it as it is, being rather than doing, the atmosphere can get a little rarefied, a little theoretical. You know, nothing to do and all that, nowhere to go nothing missing and nothing extra. So, to make it practical, we want to see how that view of the great perfection, the view, the outlook, the perspective, the bigger picture, the view of the great perfection, how it actually applies to our meditation practice, the great meditation practice of Dzogchen called non-meditation And how that non-meditation or that meditation, that getting used to the view of how things are, actually is lived out into action, into Buddha activity, into impeccable living. So, Dzogchen, like Mahamudra also, is always explained according to these three, which I've insinuated into that last sentence view, meditation, and action. The view of how things actually are, truth, things as they are, the great perfection. The meditation of non-meditation, pure being, innate wakefulness, luminous awareness, and action, impeccable, selfless Buddha activity or spontaneous action. So to practice according to this view, meditation, action, it's explained that we practice by leaving things as they are. The four great flops, or as Kala Rinpoche used to call it, the four great rangbaks, natural flow. This almost sounds a little Taoist, doesn't it? Like Lao Tzu's famous doctrine of Wu Wei sometimes translated as non-action, but probably more accurately, beyond action and beyond inaction. No willful striving, natural flow. In Tibetan we call this jadra, free from activity or beyond movement. It doesn't mean stillness, it means beyond movement, beyond the dichotomy of effort and non-effort, action and inaction, movement and stillness. It includes both, (coughs) bringing together heaven and earth, bringing together the infinite and the finite. So we practice this with the great natural flow, the four, the three rangbabs, Kalim Pache talks about, or the, also can translate that as naturally settling, leaving it as it is, or the four flops, as we call it in Dzogchen, just to make it a little more pungent. The four great flops, the Namshak Shi. Meditate. Let's see. Let's see if I can remember them even. <laughs> There's so much to remember in Buddhism. All the, <laughs> all the simplicity can make you crazy. <laughs> you know, who said what and when and why and how and how to translate it. 
what you should do. No, stop there. The, the view, like the open sky, infinite space, without center, like ego center, without periphery, without limits. The meditation, like a mountain, imperturbable, no matter what grows on it, no matter what weather falls on it. And the action, like the waves in the ocean, the waves of the ocean, though the ocean never leaves its primordial bed. And the result is the great perfection, inherent freedom of being, Zogpachempa, Zogchen. So the view, again, like the infinite sky without center or periphery limits, the meditation of non-meditation, imperturbable, unshakable like a mountain, and the action ever rolling yet ever unmoved like the ocean. Oceanic, boundless bodhisattva activity. So you're never bored, don't worry. Even in Nirvana you won't be bored. And the result, the great perfection. So this is practiced by the great leaving it as it is, these four letting go of the four great flops. Like the sky, which is totally unrestrained, totally allowing everything. Like the mountain, totally at rest, centered. Like the ocean, which never leaves, no matter what, how it moves. Never leaves its bed. And the re- result, or the fruit, the great perfection. So, my teacher, by the way, I'm reading from a book here that my teacher, Nyosho Kempo Rinpoche and Lama Suridas wrote. You can get it from Snow Lion Publications in America. Probably here too. The introductory poem by Gendun Rinpoche, who lived in Dordun, master of Karmapa's monastery and three-year retreats there. Gendun Rinpoche. As an introduction to this book, he wrote this poem for us. He wrote it in Tibetan, he sang it in Tibetan as a spontaneous song of enlightenment, a doha, we call it in Sanskrit, a Vajra song, like Milarepa's songs and so on. This particular song, to explain the natural great perfection, which is the title of this book, is called Free and Easy, a spontaneous Vajra song. I wanted to translate it, take it easy, but I got shot down by my, my collaborators. This is take it easy is Suridasa's way, but this is free and easy. <laughs> so he sang this as a personal kind of instruction, so I hope you'll take it that way also. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower but is already present and available in openness, relaxation, and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do or undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the body-mind has no real ultimate lasting import, has little reality whatsoever, but is impermanent, insubstantial, totally relative. Why identify with these momentary appearances? Why become attached to them and identifying with them? Passing judgment upon mere appearances and upon oneself. Far better to simply let the entire spectacle occur on its own without interfering bringing up and falling back like waves in the sea without changing or trying to manipulate anything. And notice how everything magically vanishes and reappears, appears and disappears magically, 
again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue but can never quite catch or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness don't exist anywhere as actual entities, they are always available and accompany you every instant. Don't be deceived by momentary positive and negative circumstances, by good and bad experiences, which are like today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows and clouds and mist in the infinite sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourselves in vain. Yet as soon as you open and relax this tight fist, tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, as if in your own hands. Sky is there, open, inviting, and comfy. Loose translation, loose translation. <laughs> make use of this spaciousness this inherent freedom and natural ease in which everything is possible nothing is determined don't search any further this is it why wander into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting at home in front of your own heart. <laughs> you see, you're sitting here and it's at home. I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> These teachers, they never get tired of, uh, I don't know what, scolding us for our own naive and foolishness. Anyway, bear with me, we're almost done. Nothing to do or undo nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Imaho, marvelous, everything happens by itself. So that's the nature of the innate great perfection. The view, the meditation, and that spontaneous activity. Do you like the sky, meditation, like the ocean? activity like the rolling waves and the result of all that being the great perfection which is not really produced as a result at all but which is where we're all coming from which is the ground, the fundament, the basis which is the path of practice and which is the result, the fruit so we're not really waiting to get there according to this path we're practicing, we're exercising our, our um, natural rights, as it were. Our inherent freedom of being, our birthright, our Buddha nature. Not fighting for it. Not waiting to get it from someone, or Buddha, or Guru, or something. Not like trying to steal fire from the gods, like in the mythology. But using our own the light, the igniting that fire within each of us and seeing by our own light we're not missing any let's turn on our headlights and our heart lights and our own lights and everything it becomes very, very clear very, very clear so as Gendon Rinpoche is saying nothing to do or undo this is a very profound and deep teaching. This isn't just something that somebody made up because they're too lazy to bother with spiritual practices. This is a Lama who spent 20 years in retreat in Tibet, who did hundreds of thousands of bows and billions of mantras and has gone through all the practices. And he's saying the ultimate practice is beyond action and beyond inaction also. It's resting nakedly in awareness. It's simply sustaining the essence of innate wakefulness. It's the ultimate practice. 
I'm going to say that again. This is a technical term, so it's something we could, um, just, we could think about. Sustaining innate wakefulness is the way. That's what John Wincontro Rinpoche said in one of the patriarchs of our Mahamudra Dzogchen lineage. Sustaining innate wakefulness. Innate. Not getting it. Not working towards it. Innate. Inherent in us. Sustaining it. Not trying to produce it. Not buying a little more every day by every hour of meditation. Getting a few more deposits in our bank account. Sustaining innate wakefulness. Rikpa. Awareness with a capital A. Non-dual awareness. That's the practice of Dzogchen and Mahamudra. Not visualizations, not mantras, not breathing exercises, not prayers, but sustaining innate wakefulness. Sogyal Rinpoche calls it abiding in Rigpa. Rigpa Tibetan means awareness. With a capital A. Abiding by awareness. Resting in total awareness. Not doing anything special. Just being. Being aware. Being luminously present. That's the practice. That includes all the great... The great flops. You know, I should say in Tibetan and it sounds like something special. <laughs> the great Namshak Shi that all the gurus talk about. But they mean flops. <laughs> the great Rangbab Sum that Tala Rinpoche talks about, which just means the great natural flow, the great settling. It's like settling down, coming home to where we are, always are, always have been and will be, our true nature, great, innate great completeness. <coughs> the turn of the century. Dzogchen Master Patrul Rinpoche, also known in our lineage as the Enlightened Vagabond. He was a great yogi, master, writer, and poet. In fact, you can read his book, it's just, uh, The Words of My Perfect Teacher by Patrul Rinpoche. Very wonderful, interesting book. You can find in bookstores these days, explaining all about the Nyingma school and practices of Dzogchen, etc. Patrul Rinpoche, the words of my perfect master. He said, and this is one of his famous, what we call piss instructions or essential sayings, he said, beyond action and beyond inaction, the sublime Dharma is realized. Beyond action and also beyond inaction. Beyond both action and inaction. Sublime Dharma is accomplished or realized. So I think that puts in perspective on our efforts and is an exhortation towards appropriate effort, effortless effort. The passion for awakening, not just striving to achieve something and become somebody, but the passion to awaken, to realize things as they are, truth. Not just ambition or striving to become somebody or something, but the passion, the interest factor to realize things as they are. Lao Tzu said something like this too since it came out up before. Wu Wei, non-doing. He says, um, in the Tao Te Ching, wonderful book if you haven't read it, The, uni- uh, the universe is sacred. How can you improve it? If you tamper with it, you ruin it. The master does things thoroughly and lets go. Whatever happens, happens. It's kind of a tantric revelation, actually, celebrating the sacredness of everything. The universe, the whole universe is sacred. How can you think you can improve it? The universe includes us, don't forget. Yet, still, what we think about is self-improvement. 
foolish. The universe is sacred. How can you improve it? If you tamper with it, you ruin it. The master does the best he can or does things thoroughly and lets go. Whatever happens, happens. That's in poem number 29 or 30 of the Tao Te Ching, if you feel like reading about those things. It's wonderful teaching about being. That primordial being that we will participate in. More fundamental than, closer upstream to the source than all of our forms of doing, achieving, obtaining, having, and becoming. So in Dzogchen view, meditation, action, it's always based, and therefore practice, it's always based on these principles of leaving it as it is, of innate wakefulness, of openness, non-fabrication. There's three, there's a triad that the Dzogchen masters teach. Mazu, Magum, Mayen. I think it's a little radical. Let's try see how it sounds in English. Mazu, not doing or not contriving anything. Magum, not meditating. That means non-meditation, as we discussed. And Mayen, non-distraction. So how do you put that together? Not meditating, yet not distracted. Well, that's where the first one comes in. Non-doing. You don't put it together. They are together. Two sides of the same. In innate wakefulness, in pure awareness, you don't have to do anything. There's no, there's no object to concentrate on, so there's nothing to be distracted from. That's the non-meditation. The Dzogchen meditation. Oh, anyway, too many words already. I'm going to stop here. But these pit instructions, these I think unpack some very subtle nuances in the emptiness or the luminous heart of the Dharma, which is very hard to really think about or get our minds around. And all referring to the famous quote from the Dzogchen Tantra, we are all Buddhas, our only, all we have our only task is to awaken to that fact, to recognize our Buddha nature, our inherent wholeness and freedom. So through awareness we recognize, not just recognize, we actualize it, we enact it, we embody it, we get used to it. We get used to it, so we can live it, which is what counts. Not just learning about it, or thinking about it, but living it. So, that's all I want to say tonight. <coughs> Any questions? Please feel free. Yes, in the back there. Did you sell your house yet? So don't try so hard. No. Not to try. <laughs> okay. So don't try hard. From that resort in a sort of fatalism. No, we don't have to overthink all this. I mean, last night we talked about this a little, and you know, I think in conclusion we decided that you really are inspired to seek and to do something. So why not just do it? Why tie yourself up in knots? Just you know, get on with it. Trying not to try and, you know, doing nothing is also, you know, big effort and hard work. So, why don't you give yourself a little more space to just, you know, like, gracefully dance, you know, into whatever form it is that's calling you. Hmm? You see, the problem is that these things, you can't really figure it out. 
it's like you know the the sort of rather fallacious question what is the meaning of the universe you spend a lot of time thinking about that but the mind is not the proper tool to figure that out the intellect has its limits doesn't it so the more you think about it probably the more you spin your wheels you know not that you shouldn't think about it or you're forbidden from thinking about it but don't get too invested in the idea you're going to figure it out take action Take Don't tie yourself up. Yeah. Take action. Take action. I'm talking to you, mm-hmm. right? Particularly personally, since you've you've, you've you know, volunteered, you know. You know it says in the military, never volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> but you foolishly volunteered, so now you're you, you know you singled yourself out <laughs> for attention. Yeah, take action. You're crying for it, so go for it. So you're saying now to take action? Yes. To you, I'm thing. saying. Not to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you're crying for it, so, so do it. Well, do it. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Yes? Yeah, I'm fully still. Uh, isn't it a two-fold way in my experience? I first have to open the channel and then it please uh, flows freely. Or I have to, to learn a formula to do it, but then it comes together by itself. Isn't it like I have to do something first and then yes. it happens? Right. It's like using concepts to go beyond concepts. Like we come to, and we try to meditate or do something that's a little fabricated in order to actually realize freedom. So, it's like... Um, is it homeopathic medicine? You get a little bit of what's ailing you, which brings out your own health, cure, something like that. So the arm is like that. It's like a little, it's kind of poisonous. <laughs> you don't want to take too much of it, just a little, so it brings out your own natural, healthy Buddha nature. So you, you finally get sick of taking all these medicines and vitamins and you know, wheatgrass and olive oil <laughs> and you can just live on sunlight and food and love and air like a normal animal should. <laughs> yes, Amy? Um, in the second Yes, the six paramitas, the six perfections in the Mahayana teachings are you familiar with the word paramita, like dana paramita? You familiar with the word dana? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that comes from the first perfection, dana paramita. Generosity, the perfection of generosity. So it says in the Mahayana teachings, the practice of the bodhisattvas, the altruistic hero on the path of enlightenment, bodhisattva, is the six perfections. Generosity, ethics, patience, energy or effort, meditation, and prajnaparamita, transcendental wisdom. Those are the six paramitas, the six perfections. Isn't it interesting that dana comes first, even before shila, morality, way before meditation and wisdom. Isn't that interesting? So, here in the prayer, and thank you for asking, because it's good to clarify things, otherwise we're just mimicking Paris when we say these things. May I practice the six paramitas, perfection, so I, it's the prayer number two here in English, side. The Bodhicitta prayer. May I practice, for the benefit of all beings, practice the six perfections day and night. Six paramitas. You can read about them in all kinds of Buddhist books and texts. Six practices of Bodhisattva. Which Tantra says that? Well, a, ta- a Tantra says that, or who says that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Never is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd be very interested to see. Actually, I wouldn't be interested, but it was, you know, you can check and see if, like, somebody just said that or if they're quoting from, you know, some the Buddha said it or, you know, a scripture tantra said it or it's just kind of general. I mean, you can hear all kinds of things. Like, you have to sit in a full lotus. You can't sit in a chair, of course, but they didn't have any. <laughs> and other things. You know, where you have to do it on a deer skin. <laughs> have tantric, whatever. You hear a lot of things, especially in books. Books are like newspapers, you know. <laughs> But but since you asked, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just tripping out on that side of your question. The other side is, yes, Dzogchen practice with the mouth open, which reorients, interestingly enough, reorients your prana, your breathing, your therefore your mind, which rides on the prana. Like it's explained, we usually we breathe through the nostrils. It's like there's two. This is a very simple-minded definition, excuse me, but it's from some old book. <laughs> we, the dual breath comes through the nostrils, so the breath is unity. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even passing this on. It's so bad. <laughs> through the mouth. <laughs> but also, let me explain a, just a little bit less superficially to preserve my self-respect here. <laughs> Normally, we are, you know, sort of cerebral, and we're up here, and the ordinary breathing going through our nose and we're living through our thoughts meditating in that way you know a little bit like the thinker of Rodad you know so in Dzogchen we're working with a little different principle of like being rather than doing or like trying to meditate too much so open eyes natural gaze open senses not in we never say go in stay in we don't say quiet the mind. You may have noticed. I never said that. Because quiet and noise are just two sides of the same thing. So, eyes open and mouth open. You know, if you sit with your mouth open, you might have an interesting experience. It's like a little gaga, you know. Uh. <laughs> and that it might take you out of your usual frame of reference, which is, I'm sure, very rational and analytical and totally precise. So more into the little gaga kind of holistic, intuitive. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <Very deep. laughs> so experiment with it. Of course, I'm not saying that's the only way to meditate, but it's just how Zogchen happens to be taught. <coughs> Eyes open. Of course, you have to keep your ears open also, and your nose open, your mouth open and your throat and posture and you heard me say this when I died and your chest and your breath open and you know your attitude open your heart and mind totally open open the total sphere of luminous awareness not just living from the kind of the the periscope here <laughs> you know, the conning tower cerebrum <laughs> here so that's why the Dzogchen patriarch, the real enlightened founder of Dzogchen practice, Tibet Longchenpa, you can read his books, there are many, Longchenpa says, the six senses left in their natural state is the practice of the great perfection. The six senses, of course, mind is the six. The six senses left in their natural state is the way of the great perfection, Dzogchen. So that's the particularity of Dzogchen practice, not closing the eyes, not looking inside, not quieting the mind, but natural, very integrative, something we can do in our daily life very naturally. I think it's very integrative. And that's Tantra, that's the meaning of Tantra, actually. Integrated, non-dual, woven into our daily life every moment. Not just when we close our eyes and have a quiet mind, but aware every moment. 
I guess it, it doesn't matter too much if the teachings contradict themselves anyway because we're supposed to take the bits we like and try them out and, and choose when it works for us. Um, yes? <coughs> and you chose George Chen? Yes. What teachings are you thinking about contradicting themselves? Well, the example you gave was the yeah. man goes into the shutter and he just right. tries those ways and see which works for you. Yeah, or eyes open and shut, or whatever. Or hands like this, or hands mm-hmm. like this. That's why I was wondering what you were saying about contradicting. Because most of the teachings are really complementary. It's just like looking at different facets of the same thing, you know. Like, practice like your hair is on fire. Um, seems to be exhorting you to great effort, right? An urgent, spiritual urgency. And on the other hand, nothing to do or undo. Leave it as it is. So you might get confused in between skill and charybdis, you know. But we don't have to decide one or the other. Can we hold both and understand its balance? The middle way is called in Buddhism. Maybe you've heard that. Find the middle way. In a way, our own way, our true way. I'd like to, to risk uh, trying your anger. You said we couldn't make you angry yesterday, but uh, go back to your laser-like question. Because I think it seems uh, a dumb and stupid question. I mean, it is. <laughs> oh, yes, Who else can it be that's experiencing this? It's not Jack or Jill, it has to be me. Right. So it seems so simple. So why ask the question? Um, is it simple? I mean, it is simple, but is that all? So let, let's play the game. So, when you ask the question, you say, it's me. Yeah. So, so who is, what is me? Is it your body? Yeah. Hmm? A bit of it is the body. All right, a bit of it. And what else? Consciousness. And what else, if anything? I mean, we're just trying to look in, it's called self-inquiry, to know the nature of the mind. What else? I mean, is there anything? What else? No problem, no. Okay. So, but you know, one can speculate. You know, some people would say their aura, their chakras, or I don't know what. You know, I mean, we can speculate. So this is a way of stripping ourselves bare and seeing what's what. <coughs> you might say your eternal soul. You, know, you might. Any number of things, right? So, if we look into this, you said like consciousness and feeling. So, where is this consciousness? And we must think it's somewhere or how, you know, it's doing something like it's here or it's here. Or so, if we look into this, we start to see, you know, or the mind, where is the mind? You start to understand how this body-mind complex and our spiritual nature works. That's the direction of this stupid question. Of course it's an absurd question. I don't know if, have you heard of the Zen practice of koans? These absurd questions or conundrums? Like one of the most famous ones is, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Right, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So of course there's an easy answer to that. But... <laughs> It's not the answer that counts, it's more like the question. It's supposed to be a mind breaker, it breaks down dualism, it's about duality. So the the self-inquiry question, of course, it doesn't mean that it's your natural practice or anything. You know, if you can't get anywhere with it, that's fine. It's just one of the tools that tries to poke into, kind of deflate, you know, pry under the rock that's sort of weighing us down or whatever. Well, you could really look into that, you know, like the Buddhist 
the Buddha explained his views on individuality to me. That there's five things. Maybe you've heard of the five skandhas. There's the form, the feelings, the perceptions, the volition, and the consciousness. He said that's what comprises me, individual. So if you look into yourself, you know you might have some other ideas. Check it out. See, you know what's what's what. What's going on? So it's a, it's a good framework for self-inquiry investigation to know ourselves better. That's all. There's no big deal. Also, you know, all of these things, like I was joking before, it's like they're little poisons, you know, they're concepts. The whole Dharma is made up, really. There's a Zen teaching. Let, let me put it this way. That's have I heard. Some Buddhist teachers. The Buddha said, I never said anything. Everyone heard what they needed to hear. So that's where there's this huge plethora, variety of different styles of teaching for the different, quote, styles of being, different capacities and inclinations and aspirations, different kinds of quotes. And some of it makes sense to us at different times and some doesn't. Um, could you say something about how if the Dzogchen viewpoint fits with other meditation techniques like mindfulness of breath or visualization practices and things like that? Is it, is it that you're meant to bring this attitude to yes. the practice? Thank you. Very good. <laughs> exactly. The view, that I said this in the beginning, so you'll sound familiar. Dzogchen is not a technique, it's an outlook. Right? So we bring that view, that outlook, to any practice we do. It enhances any practice we do. So it's like the view from over the absolute view gives us perspective on what we're doing. So perhaps our mindfulness of breathing then loses some of its dissatisfaction about how you can never quite do it good enough. Because the doing it is perfect, right? Like exercise, exercising your muscles. You're not trying to, I don't know what, you know, get the perfect hole-in-one or something every time. You're playing. That's the point. So the view gives a perspective on all the practices. Of course, from the view, then there's okay meditation and practices. But all the practices are considered supportive to the view or should mature that view. So whether it's visualization or mindfulness, you know, whatever, or mantras or yoga or breathing exercises, these are all secondary practices that are considered supportive to the naked, you know, sustaining the innate wakefulness, which is kind of the luminous heart of the Dharma, the pure Buddha nature being awareness. But it's so rarefied, it's so naked, it's too steep, we can't live like that, right? We have to do something. We're always doing something. So, but not to get lost in the doing. It's balanced with that tr- the being, the view of the being. And that means that view enhances all what we do, not just spiritual practices and exercise. Also chopping the vegetables and raking the leaves and driving the kids to school or whatever we do. Work, relationship, whatever. It can all be seen in that, you know, kind of sacralized or realized in that spiritual light. So there's definitely no contradiction. But ultimately, it would mean to sit down in meditation because it would be a daily life. That's right, ultimately, very ultimately. (laughs) Any tips on how to get there? (laughs) Because, I mean, <laughs> 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 it's a retreat, right? We, we yeah. get away from daily life. Right. Here, and we, right. They just say, like, pump up the... Yeah. But then we've got to go back, and that's yeah. the hardest part. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, that's true for all of us, and that's, that's a good question. Well, for one thing, it, it definitely takes time and patience and all that and stick-to-itiveness or something. And the more 
you know, the longer, well, let me attack the question this way. To put forth the particular Dzogchen tradition as it is, that the word meditation in Tibetan is gum. In Dzogchen, the word me- gum, meditation, is not called meditation actually, it's defined as getting used to it. So it's not something we just sit down to do. It's not something we cross our legs and close our eyes to do. Getting used to it means getting used to the view or how things are. Getting used to being aware in every moment. Getting used to letting go. Whatever the truth is for us. Getting used to that more and more. Like maturing that. You know, growing it. However you want to look at it. So that's the gradual perspective. So it takes time application, continuity, genuineness, you know, doing your spiritual practice, not imitating somebody else's. And going to retreats is one way to help intensify or focus that, obviously. But daily life is really what counts, and that's most of our life. That's the fact of life, so we have to bring it into our daily life. What we do here is like practice. It's like, I mean, it's arbitrary to separate this from, from life, actually. I mean, this is daily life, too, you know. We're all doing what we usually do every day, with some exceptions, you know, eating, sleeping, breathing, and shitting, and metabolizing, and talking, or not talking, you know. We're human beings here also, in a house. And this is daily life. The walls around this so-called monastery are not very high, let's face it. So, this is just a little kind of micro climate or microcosm of daily life. But of course it's a special environment, it's a little fabricated that we put together to do this intensely. And the challenge is when we're alone and when we go home, you know, whatever, in workplace, family, in the street, whatever, how to integrate it with daily life. So we try to introduce the awareness component, which we can use anywhere, not just the special components like being silent together, closing your eyes, you know, chanting to Buddha, but the awareness that we can integrate in every moment, sitting or walking or standing. Talk about um, humility and, and pride and whether they're opposites. I should never talk about that subject. <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> You know, in general, humility. I'm going to make this very short and get out of here. Get out of your mind. Humility and pride, you know, kind of. Maybe humility and arrogance are sort of opposites. Pride. There's a special. I'll just pick up one strand here, which may be what you're thinking about, Colin. There's a special teaching in the Tantric Vajrayana called Vajra Pride. It's like, it's not ego pride, you know, like I'm better than you. You know, we're better than anyone else, or whatever. We're enlightened, more enlightened, or something. But it's Vajra Pride, it's like conviction in your own Buddha nature, you know, your own, in quotes, in the Buddha nature, that you participate in that. It's your birthright, and you've heard me say this before, that it's your birthright that the Dharma belongs to you, that, you know, so it's not like you're proud of it and you're better than everyone else, but it's like Vajra pride, it's enlightened conviction or pride in your own deityness. You know, not like people in the mental hospital. I'm Christ and nobody else is. But if you know you're Christ and everybody else is, that's Vajra pride. You can see the, de- the, the light shining in everyone. It could make you quite humble. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I gotta get out the door. <laughs> really. Now, I think you know one of the issues. There's a lot of issues here. It's very difficult to sit up in front and lead a group and be a spiritual teacher when you know you haven't resolved all those kind of issues, which are you know all of us. I mean, let's face it. It's very hard to be humble and simple these days, isn't it? 
So I confess, it's very, you know, actually challenging, humiliating. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, so Chen, ah. You know, if you watch the Dalai Lama, I don't know if you've met him, but you can see him on television or tape. He's he's like tiptoeing around in his little hush puppies, like bowing to all the insects, you know. I mean, that's humility. <laughs> he's not telling everybody he has the highest teachings and they should, you know, do what he does. So it's tricky business. Any other questions uh, before we escape? I have a book list. It's part of my three-year uh, training program that I offer. But I hesitate to give out book lists. What do you do with all this list of books? I can choose what I like to read, but I can't get How it. will you know? Why don't you just take one or two? I'll put a few on the board yeah, at the fine. end, okay? I'm also going to leave... This book here, just for the night. Don't take it to you and leave it here in case anybody else wants to look at it for five minutes. And at the end, I'll put out a couple books that I've written and a list. But, you know, I mentioned Sogyal Rinpoche's book, Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, which you can find anywhere. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So the tenth chapter is called The Innermost Essence. It's 20 pages, the best explanation in English about the Dzogchen view and all that. Tenth chapter, in the most essence. And there's another very good book, The Heart Treasure of the Enlightened One, by my teacher, Dingo Kinsey. But I'll put a few on the board at the end. Thank you, everybody, tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.